Welcome to another episode of Apologetics in 15, a podcast designed to answer questions about the Bible, life, faith, in hopefully 15 minutes or less. My name is Drew Moss, and I'm your host today. Uh, I want to jump into a big question that, that I see come up a lot, specifically online. Uh, but first, let me tell you about this. Several years ago, this guy named Chris Harrison created this amazing, beautiful diagram that shows every cross-reference in the Bible. That is, every time two or more verses discuss the same topic, or, or one of them references or alludes to another verse— now, in this chart, you have like this straight line that goes across the bottom with all the books of the Bible plotted along it at different points. And then from those points, from those books, all these really tiny different colored lines shoot up and then arc over to a different book where its cross-reference exists. And there are thousands of these little colorful arcs. Uh, the exact number is actually 63,779 cross-references that they've charted on this thing. And as I said, it's beautiful and it's visually stunning, but it's also overwhelming uh, just looking at it sometimes, knowing even where to start when you look at something like that. And then uh, about five or six years ago, uh, this guy by the name of Daniel Taylor, inspired by Harrison's diagram, created his own. Only his chart's not designed to show all the cross-references in the Bible. Taylor's is meant to demonstrate all of the contradictions in the Bible. And it, too, is overwhelming. Now, there's not nearly as many as the other one. I think Taylor plots around 670 contradictions on his chart. But still, that's a lot. And, and I got to at least hand it to him. Um, the, the amount of time and effort he put into this is pretty impressive, but he's not the first person to make this accusation or, or even to compile a list like this. For years, skeptics have announced that the Bible is full of contradictions. Now, unlike Mr. Taylor, many of them couldn't actually name one. They've, they've just heard this phrase repeated so often that it's kind of become fact to them. It's become this thing that we all just know, right? The Bible is full of contradictions. So, is that true? Is it full of contradictory material? Well, the short answer, as you probably guessed, is no. And the long answer would involve walking through all 670 of those supposed contradictions and giving answers to each. But this is apologetics in 15, so we can't do that. Instead, uh, what I want to do is, is put those 670 into groups, and then respond to them that way in, in their group. So here's what I mean. Most supposed contradictions in the Bible fit into one of four categories. Now, I'm sure you could slice them up differently and come up with more or less, however you want to do it. But this is kind of the list I came up with this week as I was thinking through it. And if you can recognize which category uh, a supposed or alleged contradiction fits in, it's a lot easier to deal with those. So here's what's actually happening with most of the, quote, contradictions that we find in Scripture. When somebody says two passages um, conflict or contradict with one another, there's, there's four different things that are usually happening. The first is this, that you're actually getting a selective or partial account. Um, so take the Gospels, for example. People like to point at these ones a lot because you have four different accounts of Jesus' life. And so people assume, well, if, if they're all telling the same story, they ought to all have the exact same details and facts in their accounts, right? Uh, but they often, if you read through, they differ on the details. Like the triumphal entry. 
Um, in, in their accounts, Mark and Luke say that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt, that is, a, a young donkey. Uh, Matthew, in his account, Matthew 21, actually says that there were two, a donkey and her colt. Now, people read that and, and they say, see, they're contradicting each other. That's, that's not uh, how they both describe these things. One says there's one, or two of them say there's one, and then Matthew says there's one, but, but that's not what's going on here. Uh, Mark and Luke never actually say there was no second donkey, which is what it would have to be for it to be a contradiction. A, a contradiction um, is any time someone says that A is true and non-A is true at the exact same time. That's not what's happening here. Um, it's just that Mark and Luke never mention that second donkey. They don't say it's not there. They, they don't mention it because they don't feel you need to know that in order to understand their story. And I think we get this. Like, if I were to tell you I went and saw the latest Fast and Furious movie last night, um, first off, you would know right away that I'm lying since it's a Fast and Furious movie, but let's pretend for a second that I'm not. So I tell you that I went and saw this movie last night, and, and it was terrible. Uh, the acting was bad, and, and the plot was full of holes, and it was completely nonsensical, and I'm going on and on. And, and then let's just say a couple days later, you overhear me telling someone uh, that my wife and I went and watched that movie a few days ago. And you wouldn't go, well, well wait a second. The, the other day, you didn't say anything about your wife going to the movie. I, I can't believe you lied to me. No, uh, you would understand that, that I didn't mention my wife the first time because I didn't consider it relevant to the point I was trying to make, which is that Fast and Furious is awful. I was being selective rather than bogging you down in all the details, and, and that's what Mark and Luke are doing here. But for Matthew, that donkey is significant because one of his big goals in his gospel is to show how Jesus' life was fulfilling the prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures. So he actually pauses in this story when he's telling it in chapter 21 to quote from Zechariah 9.9, where it says that Jerusalem's king will come riding to her on, quote, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And to be sure that his readers are making the connection, he, makes, he wants to be sure to mention both the foal and the donkey, the foal and a donkey, because this is the foal of a donkey. He wants them to make all the lines connect and see it clearly. So this actually brings us to the second category. Uh, many supposed contradictions in Scripture are actually teaching devices. When the biblical writers uh, tell about historical events, they're not trying to just give you a line-by-line -line recounting of those events, to give you each detail um, in order and all those things. They've, they've got a purpose for telling these things, for, for recording these stories, and there's a specific message that each writer is trying to get across. So they often arrange their stories in a way that, that better conveys that message. So this explains why the chronology of the Gospels and other books sometimes may not always match up with each other. For example, the Synoptic Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record Jesus cleansing the temple at the end of his ministry. But John puts it at the very beginning in John chapter 2. So which is it? Well, there's actually two possible solutions to this one. Uh, one of them, and, and many believe this, is that Jesus actually cleansed the temple twice. And John tells us about the first time, and the others record the second time. 
Um, I lean towards this second option, which is that the cleansing actually only took place one time, and it took place at the end of Jesus' ministry, but John intentionally places it at the beginning of his gospel to make a point. Uh, Biblical scholars will tell you that, that John seems to arrange his material more thematically than chronologically, and I think that's what he's doing here. He's placed this story right in the middle of several stories that show Jesus as the true reality of which Judaism was only a shadow. So in in chapter 1, he describes Jesus as the true sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. You remember John the Baptist says that in John chapter 1. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, he shows Jesus taking these Jewish uh, cleansing vessels that they used for ceremonial purity and then replacing the water in them with brand new wine, just as Jesus' new kingdom is replacing the Jewish system. And then he tells about Jesus cleansing the temple and announcing himself as the new temple before finally telling a story about a Jewish religious teacher coming to Jesus to learn from Jesus as the new spiritual authority. And it's all this one theme that he's tying together through multiple stories. Now, filmmakers and writers do this all the time through flashbacks or montages. And and we don't get mad that the story wasn't accurate because it wasn't chronological. No, we recognize it as an important and effective storytelling device. That's what the biblical writers are often doing when they get conf- uh, when they get accused of uh, not not having uh, matching chronology or details in their stories. No, they're, they're doing things on purpose to make a point. It's a teaching device. Now, the next one may freak you out just a little bit at first, but hang with me. Um, and that is that a number of the uh, alleged contradiction in the Bible, or, or some of them at least, are, are actually copyist errors. And this one usually has to do with when, when you see like two texts um, give like different numbers in the Bible, two different numbers on something. So uh, let me just say first, when we say that the Bible is inerrant, we mean that the original manuscripts were without any errors. There were no errors in them. That does not mean, however, that when scribes copied those manuscripts down, that they never made any mistakes or errors. No, they they did sometimes. And, And those errors show up every now and then in the Bibles that we have today. Now, the good news is that thanks to the science of textual criticism, we know where those errors are. Scholars will tell you that we have uh, 98% of the Old Testament accurately recorded and 99.5% of the New Testament, and and we know where that other like 2% in the Old Testament and half a percent is in, uh, yeah, 2% in the Old Testament, half a percent in the New Testament. We know where those areas are that we're not totally sure. Like they can point you to the exact verses where there's some discrepancy between some of the manuscripts we have. And, And it's usually just an issue of spelling or grammar, nothing that changes the real meaning. Uh, But every now and then, one tiny mark makes a difference. Like uh, 2 Kings 24.8 says that Jehoiachin was 18 when he became king. Uh, But 2 Chronicles 36.9 says that he was 8. There's a really good chance here that, that what happens is a scribe or a copyist left off like one, like the one tiny mark that differentiates those numbers in Hebrew. Um, and that's not a discrepancy in the Bible itself. It's a discrepancy in the copy. 
though I should say there are actually some who think that Second Chronicles is referring to when he became like co-regent with his father, and then Second Kings is describing after his father died and Jehoiachin became king in his own right. But but there are a number of places in, in the scriptures where you may see one place will say 700 men and one place will say 7,000 men. And, and a lot of times that, that may be due to a, a slight mistake in copying over the years, but none of those little mistakes make any large doctrinal um, uh, changes in the Bible. It's tiny things like forgetting to dot an I or cross a T or, or reversing Jesus Christ with Christ Jesus or, or whatever you may say. So, um, so copyist errors, that, that may be what you're looking at. And here's the last one that I want to talk about. Many times when people accuse the Bible of having a contradiction, what's really going on is they're just misinterpreting it. A lot of the contradictions can simply be chalked up to a failure to understand the scriptures that are being compared to each other. Um, for example, one atheist website I read compared Proverbs 12:2, which says, "A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil, uh, man of evil devices, he condemns." And uh, and they, they compare that one with Second Timothy 3:12, which says, "Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." So which is it? Uh, Do good and godly people obtain favor from the Lord, or are godly people persecuted in this life? Is it good life or hard life? Um, But that question that that this website put out is is based on multiple interpretive mistakes. Uh, First, it fails to pay attention to genre. Uh, The book of Proverbs is just that, a book of proverbial statements. These are wise lessons that are generally true in life, but they're not meant to be read as absolute statements that are true in every situation for all people for all time. Um, Second, the website is using its own definition for the term favor with the Lord and assuming that it means an easy, comfortable, safe life. So a good and godly man will experience an easy, comfortable, safe life, which even a surface level reading of scriptures will tell you that that is not necessarily the case. It is completely possible to obtain favor from God and still go through hardship, just like Jesus did, just like Paul did, just like Daniel did. Um, And then last, uh, this kind of question ignores historical context. Paul is writing to Timothy in the specific context of the first century Roman Empire, where following Jesus did usually mean persecution of some kind. And I don't think Paul would even say that this is true in every context all the time. But in the time when he's writing, he goes, yes, this is what it looks like to follow him. You're going to experience persecution. Uh, This is one simple example, but there are a ton of these. Um, Most of the times when I'm looking through these websites and and I'm seeing these reported contradictions, especially when it comes down to like doctrinal teaching, well, the Bible says this about something, but it also teaches this. Um, So many of these are just misreadings where the reader has ignored the basic rules of interpretation, like reading the passage in context or paying attention to the genre and the purpose of the text or or recognizing figures of speech when you see them. Things that we do in everyday language all the time, but people want to kind of hold a different standard over the scriptures so they can find all these contradictions in them. Um, They're just not there. Now, hear me. Are there difficulties that pop up when reading the scriptures? Yes. 
it is not always easy to harmonize different passages. And, and there are some texts that because we don't have all the facts, because we weren't there when the event happened or, or when it was being written, and we didn't see exactly what was happening or how it happening or, or how it happened, um, those texts are still confusing to, to, to me, at least. And, and some of the Bible's teaching is paradoxical in nature, right? We, we believe in uh, the fact that God is three and that God is one. And, and so the, there are teachings in there that are hard to kind of hold together sometimes. Um, but I have yet to come across two verses that can be proven to be outright contradictions, something that proves the Bible to be unreli- unreliable. I, I, I just have not seen that there. And, and, and I, I, I still hold this today, that the Word of God is inerrant, that it is accurate, that it is reliable, that it can be trusted in. Um, we'll post a couple of websites to check out that do some really good work on this. But um, one, and like I said, I'll put on there, is, is the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. That's carm.org. And it has a giant list of supposed contradictions in the scriptures with answers to all of those contradictions or all of those accusations. Um, there's also a number of books on this topic, like Norman Geisler's Big Book of Bible Difficulties, and those can be really helpful if you're interested. You can order those off, uh, off of Amazon and get a lot of help uh, from those as well. Um, that's all we got for today. I want to thank Steve Broadway for helping us out in here, and we will see you next time.